0: Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry, episode 185. As always, I'm joined by Dom. Uh,
1: Let's praise the sun today, Jared. (laughs)
0: Let's praise it. Uh, And special guest this week, Uppercut's own, Andrew Cogswell. Hello. How are you guys? We're doing well. Uh, Thank you for joining us for the first time. Uh, We appreciate you you coming on by. Uh, Big week. For Uppercut, uh, why don't you let our yeah. listeners know what exactly has been happening this week? If if they haven't been paying attention to the internet or the gaming space at all on Twitter. So. <laughs>
2: um, so I guess like context, Uppercut is a site that focuses on marginalized voices in the industry. I am the only straight member of the staff. I am the only male member of the staff. Um, so we focus on POC and LGBTQ uh, voices and uplifting those in the games and indie space. And uh, we are very big on paying freelancers. Everyone who works on our site gets paid. So when the EGM stuff happened and EGM decided to put a freeze on paying freelancers, despite a lot of them having either been in the middle of their work or finished their work, we wanted to step up. And uh, so we started a PayPal pool. This was actually all Caitlin. Um, They are the founder of Uppercut and my boss. Um, This was all their idea. we started paypal pool we wanted to raise 400 dollars to pay four people a hundred dollars uh and so we could get their pieces on their our site uh that way they got paid and published we had a little backlash from someone in the gaming space calling us out for the rate and that led to us raising twelve thousand dollars in less than 24 hours um we hit ten thousand at four o'clock or five o'clock so about six hours after we launched, six or seven hours after we launched the pool. Um, so now we weren't, we are going from paying four people, a hundred dollars per piece to paying anyone that has an EGM piece that was in the works, uh, accepting all of them and dividing up the money equally. Uh, we are taking none of this. Uh, we are not touching it. it is all going to freelancers. So yeah. Um, it's been a long week and this happened. <laughs> yeah, the pool started on Wednesday. Um, Yeah. So that's what's happening.
0: It's always incredible when you see, like, the Internet's response to something like this, right? Um, Especially in the current situation we're all in with uh, Mm. COVID-19. You would assume that maybe people are a little bit tighter with their wallets because we don't know what tomorrow brings in terms of the economy and everything. Um, But when you, you do something like this, a fundraiser for a good purpose, and like you said, it's not really advantageous to you guys fully because you guys are taking none of the money you're just trying to help mm-hmm. out people who are put in unfortunate circumstances um and it's great that they're going to be able to be paid uh now with the fundraising something similar to what they would be um the backlash thing was weird because it's like you know a hundred dollars is better than nothing but yeah yeah it's it's great to see the response that you guys got and uh it, it's so funny how this all worked out uh organically because obviously i talked to you i don't know like Two or three weeks ago, you know, and then when I yeah. saw this popping up, I was like, "Oh, this is really cool," you know. So,
2: yeah, I, I I'm the first person on staff to be on a podcast since this happened, because uh, as of time of recording, this happened yesterday. Um, but yeah, we uh, it's been a crazy response, um, and we're just very overwhelmed. And like, I I cannot give Caitlin enough credit because, they literally, messaged the group, on our group text message, and was like hey, this is what I want to do. What are your thoughts? And we said, sure, go for it. And it was launched 15 minutes later. Like, that's how much planning went into this because we weren't expecting to hit the $400.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
2: And we hit (laughs) $12,000. And Uh, for
0: those listening, to reiterate, the reason we're not, like, shifting you to a link or telling you to go someplace is because by the time this podcast goes up, the fundraiser would be over. So just to clarify what people might be wondering... Uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I wanted to make sure we got that out in front of the podcast because, you know, the world can use some good these days. And it's nice to hear of yeah. a story that went well. So it's great yeah. to hear. And yeah, it's, it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you, ready to, you ready to hop into some gaming news now? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Besides the uppercut news, obviously. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to talk about is uh, speaking of games, journalism and writing. After eight years, in my opinion, of incredible video game journalism, Jason Schreier is leaving Kotaku. Uh, he said his reason for leaving seems to be connected his reason for leaving seems to be connected to the the, the geo media stick to sports fiasco. If you guys don't remember this, mm. this is where this whole, you know, upper management company has been a <laughs> a bit of a thing with the whole Hulk Hogan lawsuit that changed the founders of the company and it got new ownership. And uh, they basically told their editors to stick to sports and move away from comedy and what they actually do as writers. And it caused a flurry of editors to leave the company. And without saying that that was the reason he was leaving in Jason Trier's post, he said that thinking about, you know, the situation, uh, I-, I forgot how he phrased it. He was like, it leaves a vile taste in my mouth, you know? Yeah, he talked Yeah, talking <laughs> about being sick. And uh, But in brighter news, a part of this, he said he's taking a couple of weeks hiatus. He's going to be working on his book, his second book. And he's going to be spending time with his daughter, which is great. But he's not leaving games journalism. He's actually returning uh, to an unnamed outlet. It's unclear what outlet that is because part of it says, like, new. So I don't know if it's obviously new to him because he's going to a new job or if he's starting something up on his own, which is kind of interesting given our certain circumstances. But I think you guys are with me in that, like, Jason Schreier is the gold standard in terms of video game journalism. And it doesn't matter where he's writing. I'm going to follow him to that place. Right. He's kind of earned that at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I just want to know from you guys, how much do you guys think this is going to hurt Kotaku in the long run? Because I think a lot of people go to Kotaku, not that it isn't full of phenomenal writers, but I think a lot of its traffic is because of the reputation Jason Shrier's kind of made for himself. Uh, and it seems like a lot of editors want to get out, right, of that whole situation because of the way it's handled from a top-down perspective. What do you guys think about Kotaku after, you know, Jason Schreier leaves? It feels it feels funny
1: uh, the way we talk about it because it, it feels like, yeah, like it's just almost like a sports team that just lost, like, their best player, right? And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that they're going to be impacted pretty heavily because, you know, I don't really – I don't go to that website all that often, right? But, uh, but I follow Jason, and, you know, yeah, he always puts out um, – obviously like a lot of insider type information but I, I also i always appreciated like um for the most part at least his use of discretion and he tried to explain that a, a bunch of like yeah i could you know reveal a bunch of stuff but like it it would only hurt people and it's not like worth it um that kind of thing but then he uses the same kind of uh, sources to reveal the important stuff that uh, as we're now seeing can make a big difference um just after reporting on you know all the Uh, shadier stuff going on at Rockstar apparently things are getting better there which is really cool and it'd be hard to say it wasn't you know mostly because of what you know the reports he put out Um, I mean also because of the folks that gave him the information of course but um he obviously is a big part of that too so yeah I think this is a big hit for Kotaku um and it's cool to see that uh most of the industry or at least this part is in a place where someone like him has the leverage to do this um you know, because a lot of people, it's easy to say like, oh, you don't like your company or you don't like your boss, will just get a new job. And that's like a, you know, it's easy to say that, but a lot of people aren't in a position where they can just up and quit and leave. But um, so lucky for him that he, he can do that. So yeah, I think it's a big hit for Kotaku for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I I mean obviously yeah, it's a huge hit.
2: Um, I mean, Gita Jackson left earlier this year along with a couple other people. Uh, Gita specifically moved to Waypoint or Vice. Games or whatever it is, um, but at the same time, like Kotaku is going to be fine. Um, oh yeah, because I mean, how often does Jason put out a huge piece every few Once months? I mean, he does,
0: yeah, like three months maybe. Yeah, yeah because they're yeah. huge. They're
2: huge research endeavors. Like he, and he's got to confirm his sources and stuff like that. He's diligent, and so Kotaku isn't surviving based on Jason Shrier putting out a huge piece every quarter. You yeah. know? Like, there's other traffic going to that site. Um, and there's good writers there. I mean, he's he's not the only one doing big exposés. He's just the one me- best known for them. Yeah. Um, so, like, Kotaku's going to be fine. Um, it's weird, because to me, Jason... As soon as I think of Kotaku, I think of Jason. Yeah, um, um, yeah I, feel like, I feel like everyone does. But at the same time, like, they're going to be fine. Um, I'm more interested where he's going, because... Yeah they would have to pay him pretty well. Yeah, um, cuz I'm a sh- I'm sure he wasn't I'm sure he was living comfortably at Kotaku. I don't think he was making bank because it's like games media, like let's be honest, like there's not a ton of money there. Um but like to with him being like oh, I'm going to leave because of Geo Media uh a company to give him an offer like there's probably a pretty good bidding war. He had
0: a, he had his options. He could have gone anywhere. The big rumor right now is the Washington Post, I believe. Yeah. Um, and that's where people think he's going to go because they have their new initiative where they're kind of focusing on games news in a certain vertical. Uh, to your yeah. point of, like, him, you know, when I think of Kotaku, I think of Jason Trier, but it also has a stable of really solid, great riders, right? I think mm-hmm. him leaving is a plus to that side as well because now it could give an open space for those riders to kind of make their own spotlight for themselves, right? Um, yep. and maybe we see the quote unquote next Jason try and by that, I mean them getting the attention they deserve for the stuff they're putting out, not necessarily the quality of writing, because like you said, they have writers, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting choked up, uh, that are to the level of Jason. Um, it just, yeah. he's most known for it. Right. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, it's, it's interesting I doubt people think that he might do something independent. I don't know if that's, like, viable right now. Like, especially for a writer, like you said, that puts out something as deep and involved as he does every three months. I don't know how that would play with the Patreon, you know, or self-funded stuff. And, yeah, I I just don't think that's plausible at all. I don't think that's happening. I can't think of a
2: single games
0: writer who is (laughs) self-funded.
2: Exactly. Why? Like, And, like, like, Jason Schreier is great, but, I mean... You have to put out content to make money, and his stuff is deep dives. Like they're deep. Like there's just, he can't be churning out fluff pieces every few days just to make sure he has content to put out for anybody who might do a Patreon with him. I don't think he's going indie at all. Uh, He's got to be going to some site, or not some site, but like some publication. Um, I don't. I can almost guarantee it's not IGN. They won't. It's not his style. They're more news and reviews. Um, whereas he does news, but like he does deep dive. Um, I
0: I wouldn't be surprised. Sorry to interrupt you. If it's something that we would consider more traditional, like a Washington Post getting "quote unquote" like the gold standard of it to you know rocket boost their initiative with that. That would make mm-hmm. the most sense to me um, because then yep. you automatically have a face for that, right? So, yep. uh, real quick, I wanted to ask you guys. And I'll give my answer real quick. Is there a like a Jason Trier favorite piece you have at Kotaku? For me, it's the Ragtag one, that one that kind of took the world by storm about you know Amy Hennig's Star Wars game and the fiasco mm-hmm. that was with EA. Um, I just remember reading, sitting down and reading that for the first time, and it was so extensive. And you read about all of the awful stuff that happened. It was, it was really eye opening and surprising. And I think the internet that day was like taken back of like, whoa, this happened, you know. So. Yeah, that, that was a
1: good one. I mean it was long, but it also like pointed out like how hard it is to make a video game, especially a giant video game with a giant IP, like Star Wars. Because um, 'cause we're kind of I mean everyone loves to pile on EA for, you know, their mismanagement, quote unquote, of, of the Star Wars, you know, exclusivity deal. Um, but that like highlighted a bunch of problems with how they were doing things there, but also to me like that that's a tough thing to to do, to make a giant Star Wars game. Um, with all that you had to manage. So uh, that that was a cool part of that one too. Yeah, that was a great piece.
0: Yeah. Uh, Andrew, anything stick out for you? Yeah.
2: um, So last year he released an article called How Bioware's Anthem Went Wrong. Um, And (laughs) I will never forget where I was when I read that because it was the day after PAX East ended. I was in an airport in Boston uh, waiting for my flight with my wife and... I it popped up and I was reading it she went and grabbed Starbucks and she came back I'm like holy shit you need to read this (laughs) and she's like what's going on I was like just this awful awful mismanagement like they didn't have a name for it until like right before they announced it because they they didn't know what it was um and so like to me that will always be like the Jason Schreier article just because that game came out and then jason had an article almost immediately because that game came out last year um (laughs) and he was so quick on that one and like i said i was i was just finishing up pax each which was my first gaming convention so like kind of still riding that high of you know playing games on the show floor running into people going to panels like and then that happened and i it was crazy Like, so that will always, that's, that sticks in my mind whenever I think of Jason, is the Anthem article and reading it in the Boston airport.
0: That's a good one. Uh, I, I could have pulled that one too. I, once you said, I was like, oh, that's a great choice. (laughs) It's, Um, it's so long. So is the ragtag one, man. They're, they're long. Uh, I don't know if you guys did, but I had like, I read a section of it and then came back to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just Mm because it's like, it's a lot to read at once in a good way, you know? So, uh, next. Typically, what would
1: happen to me is like, yeah, I started reading that one. I, I was at work, and then like a couple minutes passed. And I'm like, oh shit, I've not been working for like ten minutes. Just reading. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta kind of come back to this later.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, this next one isn't uh, huge news, but I thought it was re- a really funny intricacy in the industry. Uh, as if the two new IPs weren't already mistaken for one another enough in the last year, uh, the Outer Worlds developer Obsidian Entertainment uh, has hired the narrative designer of Outer Wilds, uh, Kelsey Beecham. Um, this is really cool. Uh, I haven't actually finished Outer Wilds. Uh, it's, on, it's one of my backlog games that I hope to get to during this whole quarantine situation. Um awesome. But everything I've heard praised about it is the uh, environmental storytelling, the narrative elements, the like time manipulation stuff. I kind of want to not get too much into it if I, by accidentally spoiling it for somebody. But um, this to me shows that you know Obsidian is a pretty storied RPG developer, right? And for them to hire somebody off of an indie game like Outer Wilds, it's a great opportunity for Kelsey Beecham. Um, it leads me to believe I wonder if they're bringing them on to be uh, the narrative designer, narrative lead for whatever their next project is, or a part of that at least, whether that's you know The Outer Worlds 2 or if Microsoft has them. Uh, you know They give them full creative control, but if they're creating a different IP for Microsoft, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if you guys have anything to add to this. I just thought it was a neat little news story, especially considering people often misconstrue these two game titles for one another. So Yeah. No, I
2: mean, I I think it's a good thing. Um, I was not impressed with The Outer Worlds. I was really excited about it. Um, it seemed to make fun of capitalism in a "haha, we're making fun of capitalism manner, and it didn't have any earnesty to it. Um, so I... I mean, and I haven't finished the outer wilds, but yeah, like you said, I mean, a lot of people are praise the story and that, in the, in the narrative. So having somebody with that pedigree coming on board, I think is a good thing. Cause like I said, I wasn't really impressed with the outer Wild or outer worlds narrative and the way they handled their themes. So.
0: I think that whole game for better or worse spoke it's, it's budget. You know what I mean? Cause it was obviously it was published by private division Um, this was before, this deal was done before Microsoft acquired them. And I think that game was full of so much potential. I enjoyed the game probably more than you did, but I, I didn't think it was like, it wasn't my game of the year by any means. It wasn't like, you know, 10 out of ten, nine out of 10. It was Mm. a good game. Um, but I kind of went in with expectations as to, oh, this is a polished indie title. You know what I mean? And I don't know if some people went into it thinking it's like, oh, this is Fallout level quality I'm going to be getting, you know? Yeah,
2: I think I was more on the Fallout side of it just because, I mean, they were the original makers of Fallout. um, And it seemed like they had the budget behind them. And the whole satire on capitalism I thought was a really cool concept for a Fallout game. Um, Because Fallout does a lot of stuff for, like, democracy and stuff like that, and war and politics. So attacking an economic uh system I thought was an interesting choice and could lead to some cool storytelling but it
0: didn't. Uh, have <laughs> you have you had a chance to see the no clip uh documentary yet on the I, have no, so I have not. No, I have not. So in the first part it's actually pretty interesting because they talk about uh like a large part part of this game was cut. Um there was like an entire side member that was cut from it. Uh, they even talk about the developers of, oh, one of the biggest complaints lifted at this game was the ending kind of comes out of nowhere, right? It's like, oh, the ending mm. is here. And I agree with that sentiment. And they talk about how there was a lot of story beats in the game that they just kind of had to remove and that led to the product being worse off for it. Um, they're, they're, they're more self-aware than I thought they would be in that documentary in terms mm. of talking about the development process. And I, I think that paints a different picture in my head because of the information they provided. But I think you're you're on with a lot of your uh, criticisms.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that they are that honest with us that the shortly after release, um, cause you see a lot of companies are kind of cagey for a while. Um, you, but I mean, that game came out like eight October? months ago. Yeah. Six months yeah. ago. Um, so it's interesting that they were able to like Danny and NoClip, were able to sit down and, uh, have that conversation and actually have an earnest talk with, the problems and like the developers being honest because yeah a lot of them for a while like they'll stand by their game um and the choices that it made so it's 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 refreshing to see that
0: well uh, i think too they, being a developer that had like now has the backing of microsoft and this game wasn't yeah you know in touch with with microsoft at all and it was private division it's like they, maybe they have feel a little bit more freedom because if that partnership goes away that doesn't really i mean that partnership probably won't exist moving forward anyways you know Mm -hmm. So they can be a little bit more candid and honest. Who knows? That's true. Yeah. Uh, Next up, this is just a roundup of news that I'm going to throw all of them out there. And you guys can tell me if any of them are important to you or relevant or if we should just move on. All right. So first up, uh, Spongebob Squarepants Bikini for Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated, uh, the world's first Western JRPG title, uh, is coming June 23rd. Uh, The Dark Pictures Anthology. Uh, has a loose summer release date now of summer 2020. Their second entry, Little Hope, uh, is coming uh, with with a new launch date trailer, which is funny if they call it a launch date trailer and they just give us a launch window. I thought that was yeah. odd. And then lastly, so Crisis Remastered, this was a game that popped up in, like, mm-hmm. leaks, and then people weren't sure if it was confirmed. And then early this morning, Xbox posted a trailer with it. Uh, and it's coming soon to current-gen consoles. No release date yet, except it's also coming to Nintendo Switch. Which is really weird considering that this franchise yeah. is known for pushing the power of PCs. And yeah. it's coming to the Nintendo oh, I love the Nintendo Switch, but powerhouse mm. it isn't, you know?
1: So, on that one, <clears throat> I'll give a little detail. Normally I don't have these details on top of what you already have, Jared. But apparently the Switch port of that game is a port um, done by Saber. Yep. The people who did the, the Witcher 3 port to Switch, right? If so That makes sense. Yeah, so a similar situation where The Witcher Three is kind of known for pushing, uh, you know, the technical boundaries on PC. Um, also, you know, using Saber Interactive to get it to get their game out on Switch. So yeah.
2: Yeah, and The Witcher, from what I've heard, on Switch is incredible. Um, yeah. And like runs fairly well for running on a, essentially a handheld. So I mean, hey, good pull for uh, Crytek to have them do it. Like. You know, Blue Point's obviously not touching it, so you get the the best you can for the Switch, um, as far as porting it. So, hopefully, you that is
0: because Blue Point is busy working on Demon Souls when <laughs> <laughs> or whatever they're rumored. That some yeah. people say like Metal Gear Solid, Metal, yeah. Metal yeah.
2: Gear, Splinter Cell, uh, Siphon Filter. Like
0: <laughs> my hope, I, even though we know it's tied to Sony, my hope, Mass Effect. Obviously, it's not going to happen. Um, that's, yeah. So the thing I wish too, through, but. <laughs> If only, man. God, if only. Uh, the rehydrated uh, Spongebob game uh, release date of June 23rd. That's interesting now that we live in a place where this is, like, if it's able to hit this date, this might be one of the only summer games we get. We're all still assuming that Ghost of Tsushima gets delayed, right, uh, based mm-hmm. on everything that's happened with Sony delaying Last of Us Part Two and Iron Man VR. This game could do really well in that summer slot. We've seen Crash Bandicoot, the the remakes come out in that time slot and Spyro and both and, do really well especially yep. now in a year where we don't know if there's going to be any releases to either side of it I think that game can hit the MPD charts sneakily and sell really well, probably better than people assume for you know, a, re- a remake of a, a remaster of a Spongebob game.
2: Yeah, um, THQ Spongebob game.
0: <laughs> exactly with their 900 games they have in development Jesus.
2: Yeah I, I mean I would be really curious if it even hits that date.
0: Yeah, it's it's we hadn't had a date before, so I wonder if it's one of those things where they're they're bug squashing right now, and it's like, well, that's the date. We'll just you know, because yeah. that's a game that doesn't really live or die by retail. I'd assume, and I think THQ is one of those publishers that we've seen that they're they're uh, strong risk takers, and maybe they're yeah. just down for all digital release, and they kind of put the retail stuff on the back burner until it's more viable. I don't know. We'll see.
2: Well, I know like that has like a collector's edition and everything. Oh yeah. yeah like, it's like, pretty like
0: a, Yeah, it has like a $300 one and a $150 yeah,
2: one. And, like, <laughs> it's it's a pretty substantial collection for once again a THQ SpongeBob game <laughs> from the PlayStation 2 era. Um so that I feel like they wouldn't want to release that unless that's 100% ready and they can get it in the hands of people who pre-ordered it um yeah so i don't know maybe it is coming but it just it feels i'm like i'm not holding my breath for anything at this point um i'm like the last of us got to live all right cool like shocking um iron vr i don't have vr wasn't gonna play it anyway uh ghost of tsushima i honestly think might still hit that date just because it's not gonna need the production like the number of copies made that the last of us was gonna need um yeah. they can i mean they could do a limited release with that um once again the collector's edition that makes it tricky because that collector's edition was pretty expensive too or expansive and expensive i guess um so yeah i don't know it's just i'm not holding my breath that any games come out um for
0: a while and i'm okay with that i think the two and this is out of left field on a tangent but i think the two games that i that are highly anticipated for me that could hit because they're only going to be released digitally are uh, the Cuphead DLC that's kind of been mm-hmm. in the cooker for a while. Um, not saying it would, but there's a possibility because it's more you know solely focused on digital and uh, Silk Song, the follow-up there to Hollow Knight. Yeah. Uh, because they don't rely on physical releases, um, and a, a lot of times in the case of Moon Studios who did the Ori games, they're mm-hmm. three different people who work across the globe anyways. So their workflow wasn't. As drastically affected as other people, obviously it was affected in some capacity. So it's going to be a time where these smaller indie devs that are kind of used to this uh, workflow can have some some type of success, depending on when they release, because they're more likely to be able to get out the door than these AAA titles that need the retail backing, that need the special editions and the marketing push and all that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I
2: mean. On that, real quick, on that note, I think my most anticipated game that's still likely to come out is... It doesn't have released it yet, but Kit Fox's Boyfriend Dungeon. Um,
0: Oh, yeah. That game looks rad.
2: I played it at PAX East last year. It's incredible. Uh, I cannot wait to play that game. And now that a lot of things are getting delayed, I'm going to have time. (laughs) Um, And, like, I travel a lot for my day job. So, I'm, like, I'm home. Like, I was supposed to be on, like, a nationwide tour right now. And I'm home. So... (laughs) yeah it's kind of nice i have a lot of free time so you
0: said fox that reminds me of you guys have that indie game with the fox that a uh, tunic the the zelda like oh, that yeah. game could possibly hit this year too that game has where? incredible art style where is that uh, <laughs> who knows man that thing's been speaking of packs The thing has been at every pack for like, like three years it's yeah. one person developing i believe which is incredible that's, what, that's where it is <laughs> yeah uh next up now that we've got the spongebob news out of the way. Uh, So, according to VGC, which is Video Game Chronicles, and it's been corroborated by other sources in the industry, a Resident Evil 4 remake is currently in development, slated for release in 2022. It's being developed by M2, which is comprised of former Platinum and Capcom developers, with support from Capcom and blessings from series creator Shinji Mikami. Uh, Apparently, he was approached to lead the project, and he kind of turned it down, but he's like, yeah, go for it, do it, This sounds like a good idea, but I don't want to be a part of it. Um... Which I wonder if he's maybe working on uh, *Evil Within* three or working on other projects. Maybe I don't know if it was. No, I don't want to touch that. Or if he was already busy with the current, uh, you know, promise to a project. Who knows? Uh, so I'll say this: I, I'm not a huge *Resident Evil* guy in terms of I don't have a history with the series. Andrew, um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting into now with the remakes, right? With two and three. I am somebody who went and tried to go play the Resident Evil 1 remaster and Resident Evil 4. And to me, and I know this is going to sound blasphemous because, you know, people love those games. As somebody who didn't play those growing up and when they came out, Mm -hmm. I personally don't feel that they hold up really well. Uh, One more so than 4. I think 4 holds up a little bit better. The tank controls are difficult. You know, people make this argument like, why are you complaining about Resident Evil 4? where you have to stop and shoot people when you kind of already do that in the remakes uh, of the you know the modern versions of those games. Mm-hmm. I think it's just different. I think phrasing it that way is like, oh, it sounds like you're doing exactly the same thing, whereas in... It's not the case. You're slightly moving in these newer games and you're shooting. I wouldn't say I ever dead stop like you have to in RE4. Um, I'm down for this remake. I know the internet's kind of divided on it because they wanted... Um, code veronica because that's like linearly the the next game in the in the series that should be but the truth of the matter is that this is about sales and (laughs) capcom wants to get that money from an re4 remake they're not going to necessarily get that type of uh you know
2: if you look at capcom they've had a wild like last decade um resident evil 6 not great um monster hunter never hit a worldwide audience for a long time um and devil may cry or dmc the reboot not great um not a lot of people not many people liked it but like up until this year the last three years they've had game of the year contenders yeah um and last year they had two game of the year contenders capcom has like risen from the ashes in like the best way to me um I'm still working through Resident Evil 7. I just bought it recently um, because I've been a big scaredy cat.
0: <laughs> uh, Understandable.
2: Resident Evil 2 last year was my favorite game from last year, hands down. Cool. Um, and Devil May Cry 5 was fine. Like, I'm not a huge Devil May Cry fan. And then they had Monster Hunter in between uh, in 2018. So for them to take next year off is interesting. It makes me wonder what they're like, big tentpole game is because they've had one every year for the last few well, years.
0: Remember, we've talked about this on our podcast weeks ago. There's that other rumor that RE8 is hitting next year with the werewolves and all that stuff. I forgot
2: about that. Yeah. yeah. But, okay, so here's the thing, though, is, is turning RE into a yearly franchise a good idea?
0: If they because differentiate themselves, right, it could be because... Seven and eight, based on the rumors, with eight, it's going to be first person. Apparently, it's taking Mm -hmm. a lot of departures from the RE formula, which they're kind of worried about, might alienate fans. But if you're also giving them their, you know, RE goodness with the remix of the classics, and it feels like classic Resident Evil, I think you can have your cake and eat it too, if. Those games end up being more like RE2 Remake and RE7, and not like RE3 Remake in the sense where people feel it doesn't hit the quality benchmark that those other two did. Still a good mm-hmm. game, but not to that level. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I think that's though.
2: fair. I think that's fair. I'm just, I'm, and I think that's a really good point because, like, it's not like an Assassin's Creed situation where it's the same gameplay every year and it's just a new game every year. Um, feeding people these remakes is a good way to break it up but also still retain revenue um i am a little bummed they're not doing code veronica because it's like i think the least accessible one uh, outside of maybe re0 so yeah i mean i'm bummed they're not doing code veronica too um especially because it was canonically like or not canonically but like during development it was supposed to be re3 um because they were really they were developed at the same time um yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what they do. Um, I'm stoked for RE4 remake, though.
0: Yeah, done.
1: Yeah, I'm ready for it. I, I'm, I'm with you, though, Jared, on um, on RE4. I, I, try, I tried to go back to it um, a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, and it was kind of like, maybe this was last week you and I talked about it, but yeah, I was I was like, I just, it's hard to shoot. Yeah, you have to stop. I, I was just... Ugh. I don't want to go through this all again you know it was cool when it first came out i loved it you know back on like gamecube but yeah i'm down for them to to remake this one having never played code veronica um you know i'm not i i i, I can only hear people say like that would have been the better option for the next remake but um I don't know, to me it doesn't really matter i guess um, i think part of it is just like people i think i'm sorry about that i
2: think you broke up for a second no you're what good go that? ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think part of it is just people are worried about RE4 because it is so treasured, and just doing a remake um, is scary for people. Yeah, okay. uh, which I get. Um, I personally like RE4 a lot. Um, I just, I would like, I would have liked to see Code Veronica because it is more, from what I understand, more similar tonally to RE2 than RE3 and RE4, which are a little bit more action heavy um, and less horror, which, which is what I loved about RE2. So I would have liked to see Code Veronica for that reason. Um, what they could do, which would be great, is they tease Res- our Project Resistance before they announced RE3, and like that was going to be the next Resident Evil game. And then they're like, oh, no, it's being bundled with RE3. If they just drop Code Veronica and 4 at the same time, cool. I don't think yeah, they will, no. but that would be
0: ideal. <laughs> it would have been cool if Code Veronica maybe came with 3, because 3 is the one that they talk about having the shorter campaign, and it kind of needs something else it's to satiate so the $60 short. purchase point. Yeah. And from what I've heard from 4, no one complains about 4 being too short or lacking of content. Um, yeah. that would be dope if it was a package deal or like a pre-order. I mean, I don't want it to be a pre-order bonus, but if that's how they want to justify it, that'd be dope too. Um, I think for the most part, we've kind of
2: moved away from pre-order bonus bundles. The last one I can think of is the South Park games, um, like looping in another game with a pre-order bundle. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the last one I remember.
1: Yeah, I so I think Dishonored people- did that Two, but i don't know if that was before or after south park well D- dishonored had the definitive edition come out
2: and then they're like oh if you buy two you also get a free copy of one. Oh, okay okay yeah because i remember getting dishonored 2 for christmas i already had dishonored one so i gave my friend the code mm-hmm. um so yeah like that's that's i think uh, that's a little bit different
0: call of duty came with uh, modern warfare remastered right
2: that is true i forgot about that did, but did that come out standalone no, no. at the same time no,
0: okay. <laughs> it Endulated. came out like six months later, standalone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I'm not um, a Call
2: of Duty person, so yeah, it makes sense why I forgot that one.
0: Man, so it was a remaster of my favorite Call of Duty game of all time, and it was <clears> attached <throat> to a game I had no interest in buying, so I was like, oh, great, So you bought cool. it? No, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> Oh wow! and I still haven't played it. Yeah. Good for you. Our, our guest last <laughs> week was a guy named Tanner Pierce from Dual Shockers. Yeah. And yeah. he's a big Call of Duty guy, and we were talking about it because he was reviewing the the recently released uh Modern Warfare Two Campaigner Master. That was mm-hmm. exclusive on PS4 for a month, which that's a whole conversation in and of itself. But uh, Um Yeah, we were talking about that and I was it's a shame that I haven't gone to play it gone to play it yet. It's just like i ditched it from my mind for those six months then by the time it came out you know as a video game player there's something already else i'm yeah. interested in so i don't have time to go back and do that and then it just kind of slipped and slipped and slipped so yeah. Never we're, got t- we're kind of
2: we're kind of forced and like as people who play video games to have like goldfish memory uh because something new is always coming out so it's just like oh nice yeah. shiny object constantly so i totally get it like i'm the same way
0: well, it's even worse when you host a podcast or work at a game site or do anything like that because it's part of you doing your best at what you're doing to be informed yeah. with the current games. You For know sure. what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Uh, next up, Gamescom 2020 will be a digital event uh, this year according to the press release from Gamescom themselves. Uh, go ahead and check out their Twitter. They have the full press release there. I don't want to read it all verbatim on the podcast, but... Uh, the short of it is that they're instead of doing their public stuff, they're doing a digital replacement. Um, they were kind of open to the idea of still doing something public related, but the German government kind of put their foot down and forced this decision. It seems like it was it was kind of out of their hands at this point. The curious thing to me is if you guys remember Jeff Keeley did uh, Games Night Live or Gamescom opening night. I forgot what the actual title of it was. I think it was opening night. I think that was opening right. night. Yeah. And he kind of introduced the, the, you know, the event and he it was kind of like his own little press conference thing. He had developers come out and show new games. Do you guys think that their digital event will be Jeff Keighley produced? Do You think like, that's a smart decision of, you know, we've been working with Jeff Keeley now. He was already going to do something this year. Again, if you're going to do a digital event, have the guy who's most known for it, right? Who throws game awards. Uh, how likely do you think this is a Jeff Keeley joint? Gamescom digital. Um, I don't think it's Jeff Keighley at all. Oh, you don't?
2: No, not at all. I mean, because Gamescom's Germany, right? Yeah. It's in Germany. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't foresee him putting in the time to make a digital event because that also takes a lot of work. Like, I work in the events industry and digital events are also very hard and with Gamescom being later in the year closer to game awards he's gonna have to be figuring out what he's doing with game awards and like creating all the assets and content for that why would he waste not not waste his time but why would he spend his time working on a show that's not his when he has so many logistics to start figuring out very quickly
0: yeah i mean the paycheck could be huge (laughs) yeah a good motivator i I don't know if that's true that's worth it to jeff though i don't know if he he's it seems like he's pretty well off i don't know if he you know that drives yeah, him you... a big paycheck yeah
2: and how, i mean how how big of a paycheck is gamescom going to be able to dish him you know um yeah. especially like are they monetizing tickets or are they live streaming on twitch if they're live streaming on twitch for free then how many sponsors do they have how much are those sponsors paying like they're i mean you're looking at a huge revenue change for gamescom as like from an event standpoint and yep so how much money are they really going to have to throw at somebody like Jeff Healy who can make this money elsewhere on his own thing?
0: I, I guess so. I think for me, my idea is like at the worst, I think he could host it or at least parts of it. I, a full on production, you make a lot of valid points of like, it's a lot on his plate, especially because like you said, Gamescom happens so much later in the year, closer to the game awards. And that's his primary focus, right? That's his baby. Um, yeah, what do you think, Dom? Are you with Andrew that it's probably not likely that it's a, pr- a production by Jeff Keighley? Yeah, I just, I, I kind of feel that vibe that he's
1: just taking a break, like, not going to put in the effort for this. I don't know. Yeah. But,
0: he already divorced E3, you know? How much more can the man do? Yeah. <laughs> man. Yeah. Mm, everyone did this year, and then E3
2: <laughs> divorced itself from the world. Exactly. Uh, so...
0: It's it's going to be interesting with all these digital events. Uh, I think I have the most faith in the big boys like the Microsoft and Nintendo because they can afford to do whatever the hell they want and they can you know make it work. It's the smaller ones I'm more interested in to see how it goes. Like IGN Summer Gaming, I think IGN's production stuff will be solid. I just don't know how the independent publishers are going to handle their own packages for it. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously we don't know what Sony's doing specifically. And at Gamescom, they they've never really done anything digital in the past, right? It's just been the opening night, and then it's all a public show floor event. Yeah, from what I remember, yeah. So that's kind of, I don't know if maybe they look for, if they can't get Keeley if they look for somebody else with that experience to help shepherd it along. Who knows? Um, lastly, I wanted to touch on this Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven stuff. A limited edition Xbox One controller uh, got leaked online via Amazon, as most things have been lately. Uh, and today, uh, the day of recording this, we're recording on April 16th, Xbox's website itself did the thing it did at E3 last year, where it kind of got overtaken and hacked by Cyberpunk 2077, and it's teasing a reveal for a, uh, April 20th, 420, uh, just blaze. and uh, Jesus. It seems like there's some other leaked images pointing towards a custom console uh, with the controller along with it. Those haven't been verified. The controller has. Uh, both of you had a chance to check out the controller. I think I sent it to you, Dom. And uh, Andrew, yeah. I think you had a chance to check it out yeah. as well, right? Yeah, I saw Yeah, yep. I saw it. I, I personally really enjoy it. Uh, I actually am thinking of ordering it, not opening it until Cyberpunk comes out because it's one of my most anticipated games. Hopefully it comes out this year, uh, but I'm thinking about pre-ordering the, the controller and saving it to play with the game when it comes out. I personally really like <sighs> it. I like we had a discussion last week about the DualSense controller and how uh, the the dual tone coloring of it for me didn't really work. And with this controller, I think it's a neat design that makes the dual tone stuff work with the silver and the black. I like that it feels very much in World Two Cyberpunk, or it feels like two separate controllers just like mashed together. Um, I don't know, the design just works for me. I like the engraving on it, too. Did you guys like this controller at all, or is it just like, ah, oh, it's cool, but it's not you know, not for me?
1: This was another one, and it happens often with these types of consoles and controllers, that it's just a little too much, you know?
0: Yeah, um, I get that. It obviously
1: reflects the game um, and the art style and stuff very well, but uh, it's just a little much. Like I think uh, the Gears of War ones were often just a little too much, but again, it reflects the game perfectly. Um, I like the more subtle kinds. Uh, the Spider-Man controller and console was really cool. Because, um, you know, it was, it was all red and had a logo on it, but it was just red and white, and it was a little simpler. Um, but yeah, this definitely is a super cyberpunk-ass looking controller, so it's cool. It's definitely <laughs> cool from that point of view. But my personal taste, I'm like, it's a little much. Yeah, yeah I'm,
2: I'm in the same boat as Dom. Like, I don't care for busy things um i don't care for i like that the gears of war controller and xbox i wasn't a fan of um, the spider-man ps4 is really cool um, but yeah it just was too loud in um for me not it's not my style i um i really like the ps4 uh con- like c- controller colors they did like a couple of years ago like the orange and blue the green and white um like my wife has the rose gold uh, one, like, I like those colors because they're simple. They're just, they're not abrasive. Um, yeah, I it, it didn't work for me. Um, I'm also, like, not mega stoked on Cyberpunk. Um, like, I'm, I'm passively interested in it. I'm not, I'm not, it's not my most anticipated game of the year. I actually don't even know what is at this point because it's been such a weird year. Um, so, yeah, I think that's also just, like, why it's not my cup of tea, but
0: yeah yeah well that's the cool thing though with like uh xbox specifically is the design lab right so you if you don't like any of the controllers you're yeah. putting out you can just design your own we've talked about yeah, it on this sure. podcast like sony should do that already like let us create our own well now dual sense controllers let us pay however much to customize them um i like it i'm of the from what i've heard from people a lot of people tend to like are okay with the console being busy but they want the, their their controllers to be plain where I'm opposite, where I kind of just want my console to be like a black, you know, <laughs> piece of electronics. Mm-hmm. And I like my controller being weird uh, just because it's like I don't really pay attention to looking at my controller, really, um, yeah. when I'm playing. And I do think they're nice little, like, novelty items. Um, yeah, I, I can see how it's too busy, though. I just thought, and I was like, oh, that looks – to me, it feels like it's in-world. I, I think it, it works that way as a design. Um, yeah. it feels like something that could exist in, in Cyberpunk but man yeah, the one I exception
1: that... yeah the one exception to what I was saying would be there was an Xbox 360 that was Star Wars themed I don't even remember what the game was oh the was, Darth Vader you know, one no it was the console the Yeah, the R2-D2 console R2-D2. but then the controller oh, that cool. was just metallic gold the... like C-3PO that was sweet it was the Kinect, <laughs> uh I think it was the Connect Star Wars game okay um, that makes which... sense which
2: is what a, a weird bundle. pairing because that game is hot garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: My um, least favorite one is the, I don't know if you guys remember the Battlefield one that's like a gross brown-green. That was um, gross. Yeah. 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 Ugh. I,
1: Ugh.
2: I like my controllers to be plain just because I don't have like a game space. I It's just in my living yep. room. So just being able to have the controller on the stand, or not on the stand, but like on my coffee table or like on an end table, it doesn't, it's not loud it's not you know abrasive um it kind of just blends in like oh that's just a normal gaming controller totally fine whereas like if it was you know neon yellow or an orange or whatever you know it just it stands out more um so yeah i just like mine to kind of blend in a little bit more to the surroundings so i'm one of those people opposite of you who i like (laughs) loud consoles because it sits in my entertainment system and i like quiet controllers so uh
0: Andrew, are you more of a PlayStation guy? Like what's your where you fall at on the whole gaming thing? What's yeah, your preferred uh, platform? Um but preferred probably
2: Playstation. Uh no definitely Playstation. Why probably definitely Playstation. Probably. Play, definitely PlayStation. Uh, probably. Um, <laughs> uh I got an Xbox on Black Friday for like a hundred bucks. I got one of the all digital ones. Oh cool. Um so I've been i I've been playing that, but um I mostly play on Playstation. Um and then like I love my Switch a whole lot, but yeah.
0: Nice. I just want to know going into this, our, our big topic, where you fall on that for context for people. Yeah. Because um, if you didn't know, Dom's more of a PlayStation guy, though he has the consoles. I'm more of an Xbox guy, and I have all the consoles. Okay. So, yeah. We're pretty agnostic, but we have our preferred platforms, obviously. Uh, nice. Bloomberg's PS5 put report. Your,
1: put your sparring gloves on and your helmet because we're about to just <laughs> fanboy fight this out. Let's Jesus go.
0: Christ, fanboys. <laughs> uh... <laughs> so bloomberg's uh ps5 report kind of came out of nowhere this morning uh kind of caught me by surprise i don't know if it did you guys as well i don't i don't know if anybody expected to read this um it's bloomberg is a pretty trusted source for these types of things so when they post a report about something it's kind of not necessarily taken as fact but it's like it's pretty substantiated Um, So I wanted to get into this. This is via Bloomberg.com. Just to let you know, too, apparently I have one more visit to read an article for free. Didn't know that was a thing on their site. But, you know, when I went to go read it, it popped up and it's like, hey, you want to subscribe? I'm like, no. Uh, So Bloomberg revealed a report titled, Sony is said to limit PlayStation 5 output in first year. And the article by Takashi Mochizuki and Yuki Furikawa revealed the following. So I have some bullet points here. Uh, I'm going to go through them. And at the end of it, we'll kind of tackle, if something shoots out at you right away or you want to talk about something specifically, let me know and we can tackle that right away. Um, A lot of interesting information here in regards to the release of the PlayStation 5. So, first up, Sony plans to make 5 to 6 million PlayStation 5s by March 2021, Uh, considering uh, considering they told Assembly Partners exactly that. Um, so they basically went to their assembly partners who are manufacturing the consoles and told them that, you know, they're looking to make 5 to 6 million consoles, uh, PlayStation 5s, by the end of their fiscal year. And for comparison, they sold 7.5 million PS4 units in the first two quarters of its launch. So we're looking at a really, uh, small in comparison, a launch amount for the PlayStation 5. Do you guys think this is surprising at all? Uh, I guess we'll get into the reasoning later, but hearing those numbers just by themselves, does that worry you, or do you assume that because of COVID-19 and everything going on, that it wasn't going to be the launch that last gen had?
1: Yeah, it seems like it's a—it's to meet demand, right? Because you don't want to, especially when the consoles are most expensive You know, at the beginning of their life, you don't want to make too many at the high price, uh, especially if there's not going to be demand for them, given yeah, the current situation and probably the, the lasting economic you know, recession or whatever it ends up looking like, um, probably people aren't going to be buying as many consoles this fall as they were fall of 2013 or 14, whenever PS4 came out. Um, plus this one is, you'll get to it later, but probably more expensive than PS4 was too. So,
0: Yeah.
2: Um, this doesn't really surprise me because Nintendo Switch, when it launched, was $3 million worldwide um at launch so then they had a shortage for a while i mean there were people who there at one point they sold more copies of breath of the wild than they did switches <laughs> yep <laughs> because people were buying it because they couldn't find switches but they wanted to make sure they could play the new zelda game um so yeah like this isn't surprising i don't think um i think it's more it's it's sony being conservative with um mm-hmm. their expectations um especially because of everything going on with covid like i'm really convinced we were supposed to already have the ps5 reveal um and i think xbox was gonna have a big blowout at e3 in which would have been in like a month from in a couple weeks um so yeah i think they're both kind of trepidatious right now and kind of you know walking very carefully and setting their expectations as best they can
0: and Yeah, I think the scarcity isn't as crazy as um, kind of limiting your release to certain... uh, Jesus, I'm having a brain fart. uh, Regions? Yeah. Uh, So, like, you know, not launching in specific territories around the world Um, because you have limited quantity. I think the safer bet there is to limit the quantities in every territory but have a worldwide launch. Uh, Recently in the unlocked interview phil spencer did with ryan mccaffrey at ign uh phil spencer talked about how not releasing uh day and day in japan with the xbox one severely hurt their already limited uh reach they had in that country so um you know not being able to launch worldwide at the same time will hurt these new consoles and I think, you know, providing scarcity and kind of being conservative with the total amount as opposed to cutting out an entire country or territory from getting them at launch is a smarter move there. Uh, next up, production capacity isn't the main factor in shortage. So, you know, people were wondering, oh, is, is the reason they're not doing this because they can't assemble as many PS5s? Um, but rather, Sony's expected demand alongside projected price and post-pandemic economy. Uh, both of you guys kind of touched on this uh, you know, we're sitting in a place where we don't know what spending is going to look like uh, mm-hmm. for consumers after this whole thing is done or as it begins to return to some type of normalcy. And uh, Dom, you specifically mentioned the price, which we'll get to, that uh, is going to be more expensive than last-gen consoles, we assume anyways. So- Man, and you know what? It's, this sounds shitty, um, but they, I,
1: I think they would be wise and maybe it's just not possible at this point cuz they didn't plan for it but to, in the next few weeks here get pre-orders available um, at, at least in the US where everyone is most people have just been, you know, provided a nice check from the government
0: um, and then I don't of them know would, how that would play though, man. <laughs> yeah. I get your understanding. Like I don't know how that would play if you come and be like, "Hey, everybody just got your relief to pay your rent, order our console." Like, I get well, you don't thinking see it. there, but it's like... Oh, yeah, I don't, don't say it. I yeah, yeah, I don't think you <laughs> could say it. <laughs> well, obviously, yes, I know. But, you know, uh, th- that's how I think a lot of people would read it, though, is obviously not saying that outright, but it's like, oh, yeah. you're saying this now because, you know, people, not everyone, I think a lot of people are going to be using these checks very seriously. But there is a good portion of the country that this is going to be expendable income to some extent. And, yeah, from a business perspective, you want to take advantage of that. But you know <laughs> it's it's very weird like uh, it would behoove them I guess to some extent but it could backfire I don't know who knows I mean you
2: They've also got to figure out exactly how many they're delegating to each territory and that requires mm-hmm. market research, which right now is weird because of the economies and all over the world with the COVID situation. So I mean, they've got a lot of stuff that they've kind of got to pivot on really quickly and get their research done on how many they need to ship so then they can open up pre-orders based on how many they can get to each retailer because if they can't deliver to the retailer how many they said they could, that screws over the retailer and hurts the relationship with that
0: retailer. And then the um, pricing chicken right between the two companies of, like, who goes first with their pricing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And there's yeah. a lot. At one
2: point, one of them has to budge. Um, and they, you know they both have their price set. They're just worried what the other one is going to do and, and the order in which they announce them.
0: And to that, that same interview, Phil Spencer candidly said, like, hey, we're flexible on our price and I have the backing of Satya Nadell. For those who don't know, he's the main dude in charge at Microsoft. And the way Phil spoke about it, I think they have their set price, but they want to go second because they're willing to undercut our match. Uh, I I don't think they're going to move if they don't have to, but I do think they're flexible enough that they can if they need to.
2: I mean, um, the thing is too is like, i think xbox is trying to learn from what happened last time with launch i mean last generations or this current generation launch for xbox was an absolute nightmare um, Yep. <laughs> every single thing that they did was wrong um i mean they they went all in on the all in, in entertainment system um it was a hundred dollars more they had the no use copies drm built in and they backpedaled on two of those three things they couldn't they couldn't justify backpedaling on the price until later and they got their they got they got taken to school they got their and it was less powerful yeah exactly it was less powerful and it didn't have a lineup at launch um so yeah i mean and they had rise son of rome and like zoo tycoon and that was it
0: well um, that's the tough thing too is like playstation 4 didn't really have a launch title either but they didn't need to because the rest of their messaging killed (laughs) you know what i mean handing the game to a friend and everything oh beautiful yeah I mean,
2: you've had, yeah, you've got third party games, but I mean, like, even within the launch window, I mean, they had Infamous Second Son, they had Killzone within six months. Ooh, like, I can't think of anything that Microsoft put out within Quantum six break? months. break? Well, I thought that was a full year after, because I think, cause that was in the fall. It might wasn't be. It?
0: I'm just throwing out things that could possibly Yeah, no, and like, yeah.
2: and like, even that was critically kind of panned, like, or it was, it was pretty oh, yeah, average. Sure. Yeah, and so, like, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, xbox is definitely learning from the mistakes which is good to see um but they need to get them and sony both need to get their messaging out on what these systems are and what they attend i mean microsoft's been better about it for sure than sony has i mean they announced their system two full years essentially before it came out uh, when they did the project scarlet drop Um, we all knew it was coming but still it's it's been weird I, i i feel like like i said i feel like sony would have already had their big announcement um if this COVID stuff wouldn't have happened
0: well and just handling the current like modern age of how to unveil a console i think xbox nailed it by handing the console to digital foundry and austin evans they're like here take it apart do videos on it because we know that's what works in today's day and age right with social media and content creation and it killed and it worked well because those are people that you know a large online audience trust to give them the rundown and they Mm -hmm. did that um and there's rumors and murmurs that PlayStation was planning something similar uh, during, like, or before the Mark Cerny uh, GDC TED Talk that he gave. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could have been, you know, byproduct of this whole thing happening and not, them not being able to do it. But who knows? Uh, the next bullet point. Developers expect the console to cost 499 to 550 and Sony has struggled with its price-setting decision due to the scarcity of components. Um, this is interesting. The $500 price point is what we've assumed, Andrew, on the podcast of both of them will probably be 500 because that's just the type of consoles they are. Mm-hmm. Um, the 550 thing is odd. I, I'm of the opinion that I don't think a console will ever release at a $50 in- interval. I just don't think that makes sense. Um, I don't know if that would work necessarily. Uh, it, it just seems odd to me and maybe that's just like an old world way of thinking, um, I don't know. Do you guys think that a console would release at a fifty-dollar price point, like in, you know, interval? Yeah, it just 50, it 50. Just feels
1: it feels weird unless it's a second skew, right? It feels weird to have something at fifty, but then at the same time, it's like why? I, I'm sure there's some marketing psychology behind that, but you know, yeah, I why, mean, why not? Yeah. I
2: I mean I I don't see why not. Like it is what it is. It's fifty bucks. Um, like you know. Mommy and Daddy at Christmas time are gonna cough over the extra fifty bucks for little Timmy. You know, it's it is what it is. Um, yeah, it's just like, tough
0: though, right? Because if like the console costs five hundred, you're mm-hmm. likely buying at least one game, so it's it's already mm-hmm. gonna be essentially six hundred dollars. So if you put it at like a fifty dollar yeah. price point, then it's like, oh god, now you're dipping over that. Yeah, but why I not? Mean, that's... You're you the right point. It's like get an extra 50 bucks why not
2: well and like the thing is too is especially with this generation that we haven't seen the last no just i guess just just this last generation is we have the backwards compatibility function um uh, i mean xbox has gone very deep in on that and been very committed to it which i think is great um sony has said hey like pretty much everything at launch is going to work or at least a lot is going to work at launch um so i mean you're going to have games still. I mean, games are still going to come out this fall that are going to be for last gen, but you can play them on the new gen. Um, Cyberpunk, for example, is a big deal. I mean, they CD Projekt Red came out and said, like, no matter where you buy it, you're going to have the best version no matter what system you play it on. Um, so people are going to buy Cyberpunk at when Cyberpunk launches, and then they're going to buy an Xbox uh, Series X. I almost called it the One X because the naming is convention is terrible. Um, but yeah, people are going to buy the Series X, and they're going to... They're going to play the same games they've been playing. I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, the only game we have confirmed for launch is Godfall for PS5.
0: Yeah. That's Off it. Off the top of my head, I think that's it, yeah.
2: Um, Halo Infinite's being, like, tossed around, but I I think Microsoft is going to want that install base before they put out literally their biggest title.
0: Uh, it's confirmed. That's coming out day and date with the console. Is it? Yeah. Interesting. As it they've they've doubled down saying it's coming out day and date. Who knows if that moves? Because even on, going back to that interview once again, because it was really insightful, Phil Spencer talked about this this thing that it was pretty interesting that in previous generations, the way console launches work is there's like six to eight games or even more than that that come out at launch, right? And then mm. there's usually like a one to two month window of like nothing new coming out on that console, right? In terms of major releases. And he said that they, they're possibly eyeing an approach where they have one or two major releases at launch maybe even one but then they stagger them out Mm. so xbox might not have a traditional launch lineup as we've seen where it's like these six to eight games come out on day one from what phil was saying it might be halo infinite comes out on day one and then uh this is just an example don't take it Mm -hmm. you know assassin's creed ragnarok comes out a month later right and then uh, grounded, obviously that's coming out beforehand, but just another example, that comes out a month later. Like this weird stagger release to keep momentum going? He yeah. talked about that, which is odd. And I don't know if that is going to be their game plan of, no, we want like a major thing hitting every you know two to three months because we want to keep momentum. But
2: um, the thing is, is that odd? Because that's exactly what the Switch did. Mm-hmm. No, no, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm
0: saying odd in the sense of the, the PlayStation and Microsoft. okay, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I think it's smart. It's just a, a different approach for them that we haven't seen those two big boys willing to commit to. And to your point, yeah, it did work for Switch. Uh, but, it had what? Breath of the Wild, Mario Kart 8, Deluxe. Splatoon 2. Splatoon 2 and then into Super Mario Arms Odyssey. and Super Arm- Mario Odyssey, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what um, were
2: you going to say? No, I mean, didn't Microsoft also say they weren't having any Series X exclusives, though? yeah and for launch? the first two years yeah yeah so i mean so godfall is confirmed as a ps5 game yep um ah, so i see what you're saying Whereas it's not cross-generation whereas yeah. xbox hasn't come out and said has said we're not going to have any so even if halo infinite launches on day and date with the system it's not a certified like series x game you know what i mean yeah, that's
0: the interesting thing too, though, is like with so with Cyberpunk, and this is p- part of the point of like Sony needs to get their messaging clear so people don't have these conversations. But we assume yeah. that there's going to be some type of smart delivery system on PlayStation. That's not confirmed at all. Uh, there was also that thing that came out that Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven has a separate SKU for PS five. What does that mean? Like it could mean literally nothing, uh, or, or is it that you have to pay twice for that game? You know what I mean? Because Sony has either. a message that like yo, we have smart delivery too. Our own. Title for it, um, I would assume that's the case. I don't think they're not going to have that. It'd be really detrimental if they didn't. Um, so then there's there's the category there of like, well, if almost everything third party is going to be cross generational, and Godfall, like how important is Godfall as just a, a you know a next gen exclusive? Like how does that all play? You know, it, it's it's weird.
2: I I yeah. honestly think that PlayStation Five will not have a smart delivery system. Um, oh, you you think it won't? No, I don't because a, something like a smart delivery system needs a lot of infrastructure built around it. The system kind of needs to, it needs, that needs to be an idea when you're developing the system. Um, yeah. It's not something you can just react to. Um, and Sony has, even the PS4 era, has had a very, very old school way of thinking. Um, so going back to the PS3, 360 launched with achievements. And PS3, or Sony was like, hey, that's a great idea, and implemented trophies like, 2 years later, I think, when MG4, MG4 came out and that was their response. And then jumped to PS4, Sony buys Gaikai to make PS Now, not considering that the infrastructure of the internet in America is absolute garbage <laughs> and no one can use it and it's overly expensive and then Xbox comes out and is like Game Pass. It's playstation now but it works um so like sony has always tried to innovate but has never made that step i mean and even like looking at changing your psn name like that's developed on the back end when you're first developing your online infrastructure steam has had it for forever xbox has had it for forever because they thought about it beforehand sony never did when developing the psn and they finally figured it out over a decade later so yeah. they're not going to be able to pivot to all of a sudden have smart delivery on a system unless they were thinking about it way beforehand, where an ob- Xbox obviously was.
1: Yeah, my, my only vote of confidence on that is because they've, they've basically been doing it between PS4 and PS4 Pro, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like my only you know, chunk of confidence that they'll do the same thing yeah. for the games that come out on both 4 and 5 the- that would work the same.
0: The only difference there, though, is that's from, like, a like an engineering software side of them boosting it, whereas having a brand-new console gives people the opportunity to have a separate SKU, right? So it's, like, mm-hmm. it's different there, where it's, like, one's just an update, whereas the other one, there is the ability to have a separate SKU, because there weren't just PlayStation 4 Pro games, you know, that only worked on that system, whereas mm-hmm. that is going to be the case for PS5, where there is going to be games that only work on it. That's why smart delivery makes more sense for Xbox because we know there's not going to be console exclusives for the first 2 years. So it makes sense that they were thinking about that in advance, right? And even with the backwards compatibility stuff, I think PlayStation fans need to understand it's going to be a process as well. People think the Xbox backwards compatibility happened overnight. It was a process over years, right? Mm-hmm. Where they would update with new lists of games that were uh, available through the through the the service. They're and I still think doing people that. need Exactly. And I think people need to understand that with PlayStation, it's going to be the same thing. There's going to be a, a, probably a good portion of games, hopefully more than the 100 top played, so you just don't have Fortnite and Warframe um, at launch. But you're, there's gonna, it's going to be updates over time to build that library. I hope people don't think it's going to be like, oh, all of them are going to be available at launch because that's just not viable. You know what I mean? It's not possible.
2: Yeah. I mean, they, they said right now, I think they said close to 100 is ready to go. And by the time launch, I think, I think they said close to 200 are going to be – they want to have around 200 ready to go.
0: That whole messaging, man, was a nightmare for it the was, internet. It,
2: <laughs> it was weird, but, like, I got – I think I – under like, if you just sit down and, like, think about what they're talking about, you can kind of piece yeah. it together. It wasn't well done, but I think we made it overly complicated uh, just because the messaging wasn't mega clear.
0: Well, that's a weird uh, thing. It's one of those things where you watch, like, I watched it, understood it, then I went to Twitter, and everyone was like, I'm confused. What is this? What is this? And yeah, I, it was one of those things of, yeah, I do think people over exaggerated how confusing it was. But mm. then again, from Sony's perspective, it's like, well, you could have done it an easier way. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's get through these. We're running kind of long, and I definitely want to hear what we've been playing. So I'm going to get through these, these closing points, and then we're going to talk about our kind of our final feelings on this whole Bloomberg report. So, Sony might forego a public press conference, duh, to announce price and release date due to COVID-19, which drastically upended their promotional plans. Uh, Andrew, you touched on that earlier, but I kind of jumbled up their all of their plans for the year. Uh, mm-hmm. According to those informed on the matter, Sony was forced to reveal its PS5 DualSense controller in a hurried fashion, likely fearing uncontrollable leaks. So the controller isn't a lot of developers hands because they're working on games for the platform whereas mm-hmm. the consoles look and design is kind of secretive still and it seems like they were just worried that you know it was going to leak so they kind of wanted to control their messaging and like we previously stated their promotional plans were thrown out of uh, loop so they kind of yeah. wanted to get ahead of that which makes sense um next Who up drops so when a you
2: controller design on a Tuesday
0: <laughs> an hour before an inside Xbox where they already stated there's an app yeah, so weird yeah um and then the number one trending thing was Xbox controller because of the, yeah, the design change. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, Sony is still committed to launching the PS5 in holiday 2020, but would delay if Microsoft were to delay its launch. Basically saying like, yo, we're good unless, you know, <laughs> they want to delay, then we're good to delay as yeah. well.
2: <laughs> you don't want to be six months after the competition. Like,
0: exactly. Yep. Uh, and lastly, analysts predict that a close contest for attention could force both companies to sell their hardware at a significant loss. Personally, I think them both selling for 500 is already a significant loss. I doubt if it goes even lower than that. Um, yeah. Any closing thoughts on this? I guess, for me, um, it's interesting how conservative Sony's being, and I don't know... It's unclear if that's the right move yet. Uh, obviously, I think erring on the side of caution is better than being... Too confident but I wonder if they're if they're over protecting themselves it'll be interesting to see what happens I think even with their plans being muddled uh, by this whole situation it would behoove them to get their messaging out as early as possible because I do think those who are planning to get a console still have to plan and I don't think having a uh, you know a, a price in anywhere after June would be smart given the situation, mm-hmm. um, but that's just me. I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on this whole Bloomberg report?
2: I think Sony needs to come out swinging. I need that. I think they need to have a bombastic digital event. I think they need to get out and reveal not everything. I think. I mean, they. I think they. Should, they can hang on to the console design for a little bit, but I think yeah. they need to come out and have an E3 style conference and just do it because. Microsoft has been dropping these breadcrumbs for so long at this point that like it's getting frustrating and like that sounds so entitled like oh like (laughs) tell us what's happening Uh, but like what is happening (laughs) like what are you guys planning like I've I've been putting twenty dollars every paycheck aside for almost six months to be able to buy the PS5 at launch Um, oh yeah and so like I'm buying it what am I buying it is it's six months seven months till launch if we're if we're guessing in a uh, november launch what what am i buying like what is, what is this system like we have so little information that they can't do the microsoft route they need to drop this info they need to drop a bomb um whereas if they had started this six months ago they wouldn't have needed to
0: yeah
1: yeah i'm looking this is all like yep it all mostly makes sense right um but yeah i'm more looking forward to the games as a part of that bomb being dropped. Um, yeah. cause I mean, we know all the specs, right? I mean, we basically had it torn down, you know, at least on paper. Um, right. We didn't see it, but we know everything that's inside there and, and we have a pretty good idea of what it's going to cost. Um, it's just, we don't know anything for like, like you said earlier, you know, Godfall, but that's, that's it. Otherwise a lot of assumptions, right. Yeah. About like horizon zero dawn sequel, you know, assassin's creed. There's a, you know, a lot of assumptions, but like, we don't know anything about games really. Um, for either console so yeah especially ready to, to hear what what sony's got for games because that's what they're best at you know this past generation was like their games are great so that's what i want to hear most from them mm-hmm. uh, but in the meantime i think jared you got a good point like they can't wait too long like if you're getting into june i think june is probably your sweet spot right where your e3 area would be and, and then by then i think hopefully the world is just feeling a bit more positive too and economies are starting to ramp back up in, in certain ways but in the meantime it was. It has been cool because they've done like, uh, you know, they donated some amount of money. I don't remember the number. Ten million. It's at least ten million. Okay, so like yeah. a, that's a decent chunk of change um, yeah. towards some COVID relief, whatever it was exactly. I, it's um, like funding indie studios and like helping indie studios out. Yeah, they did. A, they did that indie indie studio. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I don't know the specifics, but there's these things like that. And then yeah. most recently, um, they gave away a couple. Uh, uh, Couple of video games to everyone, right? Even if you're not a PS Plus subscriber, which I'm, all, I'm like guaranteeing Xbox is gonna do something similar to uh, just because everyone, like a lot of uh, people, are giving away content or like mm. discounts on content, right? Um, yep. And that kind of thing. So I assume Xbox is gonna do something cool like that coming up soon.
0: It, but. I think that the thing too is there's obviously a dedicated hardcore base of PlayStation gamers who are gonna buy the PS5 no matter what, obviously, right? Especially for mm-hmm. the exclusives. I do think, though, people are underplaying the idea that there's a large portion of people, general gamers, who bought the PS4 because they heard it was the better console, and they're like, I want to get back into gaming, which one's a good one to buy? Get the PS4, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at you know exclusive sales for games, even the, the best-selling console exclusives for PlayStation dwarf the actual number of PlayStation 4s sold, right? It's like 120 million PS4s, and I think the best-selling console exclusive is 20 million at most, right? I believe. But there's that
1: that that effect of the higher the number of consoles, it's more difficult to get a higher attach rate, right? Like that. Just, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But what I'm basically
0: thing. saying is that I think that Sony needs to also understand that though they've sold astronomically well this generation, if Xbox comes out, it's cheaper. It has Halo Infinite at launch, even if it isn't a console exclusive. Like, no offense to the developers of Godfall, but that definitely reads as a launch game for better or yeah, worse, right? It does. Um, yeah, no offense to the developers there. It looks like it could be a cool time, but it's you know it's a launch title. Um, I do think that there a lot of people could be swayed to pick up the cheaper console with the big blockbuster title if Sony isn't able to match that. Um, and, like, I'm fortunate enough that I might be able to actually buy both consoles at launch, and I probably will, depending, you know, some barring some weird thing. Uh, who knows <laughs> with the current situation? Uh, but, yeah, I, I just think that Sony needs to understand, like, it's good to be cautious, but you need to also prove why people need to buy your console in fall, not just because we made the PS4 and I'll yeah. buy the PS5, you know? So. I yeah, they will, the right? that. Yeah. You hope. <laughs> yeah. I don't like Jim Ryan. We've said, said this. Like I don't in terms of I don't like him leading Sony uh, or being the face of them. I just don't think he is uh, the best person for the job. Especially considering the messages he's had with crossplay with M- Minecraft and all these outdated opinions that he has. I think them losing Sean Layden and all of these faces that made PlayStation a lot more approachable uh, is not good. Um, and I kind of hope either Shuhei or Herman Hulst. Uh, takes on that approach of being the face of playstation because if it's jim ryan man good lord uh (laughs) anyways i think that's it for the news let's talk about what we've been playing i won't go too long since we've ran a little long here same old same old final fantasy 7 remake and animal crossing Uh, i recently unlocked terraforming in animal crossing so i've been going ham with that uh i'm taking the creating uh like a city Approach in a certain area with my villagers and my town square and my shops and everything, and then stuff around that is more wilderness uh, vibes. A lot of work there with custom patterns and all that stuff. In terms of Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, my first time playing through any Final Aww. Fantasy seven game, let alone Final Fantasy VII. Aww. Really enjoying it. Um, I'm only about seven hours in. Uh, this is no spoilers. I'm about to head out on my second big mission with Tifa and Barrett. Uh, Sector 5. So it's like, okay. yeah, yeah, like chapter 5 or 4 or something like that. So not too far in. Yep. Uh, really enjoying it. Character's great. Uh, combat, I'm really enjoying. Before it came out, people were, you know, comparing it to Kingdom Hearts 3, which I was kind of down on that game quite a bit uh, yeah. without getting into it. I think this is completely – It's. It's similar, but I think it's way better and completely different in a lot of ways. Uh, My biggest hurdle with this game is the disconnect of, like, oh, these people are clearly the main characters in this world where everyone else looks like normal human beings. Uh, It's like they're running (laughs) through and they're like, oh, Avalanche did this. I wonder who Avalanche is. It's like maybe it's the dude with the gun arm and the other guy with the giant sword on his back. You know what I mean? Um, But it's, like, hokey stuff that I'd expect from... You know uh, an early days jrpg uh i like that it's not turn-based anymore though the combat is turn-based in a way where you often find yourself attacking backing up kind of assessing the situation using your spells or items so it is a weird like active turn-based system to me anyways mm-hmm. that's how it reads but i am really enjoying it like i said it's my first final fantasy game i love all the quirky weird stuff um yeah i'm interested to see where it goes and my plan, Andrew, is that when I finish this game, I'm gonna go get Final Fantasy VII on probably Xbox Live or something. And the only really? thing I'm, yeah, yes. the only thing I I want to I want to ask, maybe you can tell me, Andrew, should okay. I play into the part where the remake ends, or should I play through the game? I'm not worried about like spoiling myself for future entries because who knows when that next game's gonna come. Yeah. But how do you think would it be best? Should I just play through the classic?
2: So. I know how remake ends okay, Um, and it is different than the original game. Okay. Ask me that question after you finish remake. That's all I'm going to say. It's something that like, that's a decision that, and that's a conversation to have after you finish remake.
0: Gotcha. I like that. It gives, it it lets me know. uh, Yeah. I like
2: that. Yes. Hit me (laughs) up, hit me up on Twitter um, and ask me uh, after you finish it. Cool. But I will say like, you are getting into the best part of the game
1: hell uh, yes it,
2: it gets better um i was really down at the, on the beginning of that game um being a big final fantasy fan um i enjoyed the combat but not much else yeah it gets better and better and better hell <laughs> um, yeah! so yeah i'm really excited for you
0: uh that's pretty much it for me on the gaming side of things uh dom what have you been doing ff7 remake uh, not yet,
1: actually. My copy shows up tomorrow because mm. I can get something like Final Fantasy delivered to my house, but I can't find toilet paper anywhere. <laughs> yep, unbelievable. Yep. But anyway, yeah, I'm pumped to to get it started because yeah, I've never played a Final Fantasy game either. Um, yes. I know I'm a week late to the party here, but this uh, seems quick, like a good to spot to
0: start. Andrew, we were both sold by the demo, which is a whole conversation mm-hmm. like. Demo's returning is great because it sold two of us on this Hell game, yeah. right? So, yeah, anyways. Sorry, Dom.
1: But, yeah, so I'm pretty pumped. This this appears to be a great starting point for someone who's never played any of the games or isn't that normally huge on uh, the JRPGs. So I'm pretty excited to get it started. But, yeah, more to come next week on that. So what I have been doing instead is, well, first of all, watching Better Call Saul, which is, oh, my God, incredible. Yes. But uh, as far as games, I've been playing a lot of Star Wars Battlefront 2. Cause uh, it's been a while, and I forgot I had that still downloaded, and it's incredible. (laughs) It is absolutely incredible. I'm really surprised. Um, It's just a ton of fun. Uh, It's not nothing that like I guess is gonna totally blow your socks off, new and innovative, but it's just there's something about you know doing a four v four heroes versus villains mode where you know your team is comprised of uh, a little rolling droid, Kylo Ren. Count Dooku in pajamas, and you're fighting Luke Skywalker and yeah. Ray and Lando Calrissian. <laughs> it doesn't make any damn sense. And you're doing I mean, it on like, like Naboo. No
0: Man's Sky, right? Like the updates have turned yeah. that into a completely different game than it was at launch, and it's like really good now. Yeah, i remember yeah, it's been a big fan. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's been fantastic. I didn't get into it when I first got it close to the launch, but now it's like, this is so much fun. I've been playing a shit ton of it. Um, I anticipated starting Fallout 76 Wastelanders, but I haven't even haven't even turned that on because I've been really having a lot of fun with Battlefront. So, yeah.
0: nice. I'm still holding out for seventy six to come to Game Pass. <laughs> I'm still holding out hope one yeah, day. Eventually. It's got to happen eventually, yeah. or at least it...
2: for it to go free to play.
0: Yeah. yeah, as like a big Bethesda guy, I'm not going to spend money on it. You know, it's just my personal hangout. But I definitely want to play it. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, oh, one day, one day. Man, I'll it's been games. down
1: to like ten bucks at times. I want to say. Mm-hmm. So I- it's I'm not on yeah.
0: Xbox Live. I have never seen it for ten dollars. If it was ten dollars, I would have snagged it. The cheapest it's been mm. on Xbox, from what I've seen, is twenty bucks, and even that's a little steep for me. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm glad you're enjoying the Star Wars Battlefront too. Ever since Fallen Order, I've been. I mean, then we got Mandalorian, so like, I've craved some Star Wars. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to hop into that necessarily because I'm already juggling so many multiplayer games. But the updates and praise for set updates have really got me interested in. Trying it out at some point. Maybe by the time Battlefront 3 is announced. Who knows if it ever gets announced. Um, Andrew, what have you been playing?
2: A lot of JRPGs. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Um, I got it last Thursday. Um, my wife's favorite game of all time is Final Fantasy 7 um, Awesome. So at one point, we had three copies of that game in our house. <laughs> Uh, two versions of the deluxe edition and then a version of the regular edition. Um, Her mom now has the copy of the regular edition because that was... Jessica bought it for her mom because it's also her mom's favorite game of all time. Um, So her mom's learning how to use a PS4, which is a treat. Um, But yeah, I've been playing that. Um, Dragon Quest XI on Switch, I've been playing since Christmas and it's just a very long game. So that's kind of like my just laying in bed play switch for a little bit game and then uh, persona 5 royal i've been uh uppercut got a uh review code for it that jess my wife was reviewed or was playing it and so luckily that means i get to play it as well so um it rules i'm very early into it just because final fantasy came out not long after and it was like right around animal crossing time and stuff too um but yeah, I'm really excited to really dive back in there after I platinum
1: Final Fantasy VII, which I'm close ish. Man, that game has me so intrigued because up until lately, I've really kind of been like making fun of it in a way of like, how are they really charging sixty dollars um, for you know the base game and an extra? Why isn't this just a DLC pack for twenty bucks or thirty bucks yeah. or whatever? I didn't totally understand it. I guess um, after watching a bunch of reviews and that kind of thing, it seems like it's. It's substantial and different. Yeah. Um, and having tried playing Persona Four like two years ago, um, I kind of burned out after like twenty hours. Fair. Um, but you know, I'm not a JRPG guy at all. And I see, I am. Yeah, and that that was now yeah. an older game, but Five looks, I don't know, like just walking around in like the city mm-hmm. looks really cool, and I'm uh, I find myself intrigued. So one of th- One of the things
2: that I like about five more than four, I think I like four more overall. But five, um, not having the randomly generated dungeons or procedurally generated dungeons, is great. Okay, Um, so it's not the same hallway like over. No, it is a set structure that has puzzles that you must navigate through, um, and it helps not burn out on that game as quickly Hmm. because you have a clear objective. You know, you roughly know where your destination is. Get to it.
0: You know, I'm in a weird place. I own Persona 5, right? Mm. Uh, Oh, yeah. uh, And I want to eventually play it, especially now during quarantine when we're going to be hitting our backlogs up. Right. I'm in a weird place where, like, do I wait for Persona 5 R to go on sale? Or do I just play this one? And the other thing, too, that has me worried is I heard people say, like, yeah, if you want to play Persona the right way, you should get, like, a guide so you know you're, you're making the most out of the days and whatever. And like that, that whole yeah. thing is, like, uh kind of makes me not want to start it at all. Don't do that.
1: Know?
2: Don't do that. Like, um, min-maxing the days. Don't. Like, min-maxing in Persona, like, if you're going for the Platinum, yeah. Like, I played through the whole game, and then I went back, and I started my Platinum run, and I did use a guide because it's very difficult to do without one. But yeah. just to enjoy the story, just play through it. Like,
0: I'm an don't... Xbox guy, so I'm, I'm never gonna go for the plat. You know what I mean? I yeah, Spider-Man's it's... the only game I've went for a plat, so it's like, yeah, that's good.
2: Yes. So yeah, just just play the game, have fun. Like, it's such a fun game. Um, and like, I'm not very far in Royal. Like, I'm only a couple hours in, so I haven't really even seen the new stuff. But the new stuff they have added from like watching Jess play. Great. Like absolutely incredible stuff, like real quality of life improvements, new story beats, new mechanics, and like combat and like movement. So I would say wait, like wait for Royal to go on sale, especially if you're not like super itching to play it, like you're not dying. Um, yeah, wait for Royal to go on sale. Um, yeah, that'd be my advice.
0: It hurts to hear, but I think it's a smarter decision if it if it does that much to enhance the game. You know, yeah, you that's a weird entire... thing as a like, person. Persona 5 was, like, a really well-reviewed game. And then this mm-hmm. game came out it's like, oh, it's really yeah, even well-reviewed. Better. <laughs> yeah. it, it
2: adds so. an entire new party member. It adds a new semester of, like, content because it's based on school semesters. Um, so it adds a substantial amount of stuff. Like, it is a, it's worth the $60 reinvestment. If you're a Persona fan, definitely. If you haven't played Persona 5 yet, then... Yeah, definitely just jump onto Royal because you're experiencing
0: everything. Well, and the fact that I haven't started yet, right? So I'm not like, oh, do I ditch my current save or anything? I yeah. literally haven't started it, so I'm in a good place. Like,
2: I know people who are like, oh, I went 30 hours in, I fell off, I rebought Royal, and I'm gonna restart. And like, you're probably gonna still fall off at the 30 hour mark. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you if you haven't started, yeah, just wait for Royal. Just get Royal
0: also that that troubles me of like people who are like oh 30 hours and i fell for me i'm very hard-headed so i'm like if i've already committed 30 hours to something i'm gonna yeah, yeah. that's and a that's lot just me yeah <laughs> so yeah um, uh so, anything I... else andrew sorry
2: no no i was just gonna say i think i clocked in uh persona 5 i finished it in like 100 hours like 98 Damn. 100 hours uh royal is estimated to take an extra 15 to 30 so it's a long ass game. If it's enjoyable,
0: oh, man. man, who cares? To I me, mean, it's like yeah, it's a lot of time investment, but it's like if it's an experience you're actively enjoying, then cool.
2: I think it's I think it's worth it personally. Yeah. I I don't think it's a game for everyone for sure, but I think it's at least like if you if you put some time into it and you enjoy it, I think it ends up being worth it. But like if you don't like JRPGs, uh, like my sister-in-law tried playing it and it was not for her. So like yeah, it's not worth it for her. I'm not gonna recommend her play that. So.
0: I'm a, with JRPGs to me. It's like a lot of people who aren't into from games, but fell in love with bloodborne. Like it just okay. takes the right JRPG for me to get hooked. You know what I mean? Like it's not my yeah. preferred, uh, genre, but I'm, I'm down to get lost in a JRPG, uh, cool. adventure. Um, yeah, this is, that's for you then. Now that we're closing out the show before we go, thank you, Andrew for guesting. We really appreciate it. No, thanks uh, for having can me. can you let the listeners and viewers know where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, so I'm mostly on Twitter
2: at Cogs the Well, um, and you can find my work. I mostly do. I'm the video editor over at Uppercut, so at Uppercut Crit or UppercutCrit.com. Um, but I do occasional reviews, and we do uh, monthly themed weeks where we cover a certain game for a week, um, and I contribute writing for those. So yeah, you can find me over there at Uppercut Crit and awesome.
0: UppercutCrit.com. Also, shout out to you having a really cool last name. It's cool to me, anyways. I like Thank the you. last name Cogswell. It's like, yeah.
2: Cool. Um, I had friends in high school that literally didn't know my first name.
0: Oh, they just called you Cogswell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I was so I was like on the football team and all that stuff. And usually, when you're in, in, in football or sports, yeah. your last name, if it's different enough, that's what you get called. So I was often yeah. called Weich for you know my high school career. So yeah. Uh, Is
1: Cogswell the name of the robot in Fallout, or am I tripping? Uh, that's
2: So it's the name of, it's not the name of the robot in Fallout, but it is the name uh, in the Jetsons of George Jetsons' rival company, uh, Cogswell Cogs. Um, Cogsworth is Beauty and the Beast, and I think Cogsworth is also Fallout. Yeah, 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 Fallout is Cogsworth, yeah. Cogsworth. Yeah, so (laughs) it's close on a few different things, but it is actually like we are in the Jetsons, yeah.
0: Cogswell, dope, butler name. (laughs)
1: right? Yeah. Uh, everyone wants to hear.
0: Yeah. If you can, please follow us on YouTube. Search controlled interests will pop right up. hit the subscribe button. Like the video. If you like the podcast, hit the notification bell. YouTube sub boxes are really fickle and you can't trust them. Uh, you don't know what's going to pop in and what's not. So hit the bell notifications, you know, when we, uh, upload new videos on iTunes if you leave us a five star review it helps us move up in the algorithm Uh, leave us a review period if you think it's five stars four stars three stars anything less than that you know you can do something else if you want Uh, (laughs) if you uh, also we're recently announced that we're on Spotify finally the approval process took a little bit but we finally got up on there which is great so if you listen to your podcast like I do through Spotify, we're up there. The link is in the description of the YouTube video, if that's the way you're taking in the podcast. On Twitter, you can find the Controlled Interest account at CTRLINT. That's Controlled Interest abbreviated. You can find me personally at Jared underscore. Still trying to get the regular, you know, Jared, but that guy hasn't tweeted in four years. Twitter's still not giving it to me. And <laughs> you can follow Dom at Dom's Oreos. And, yeah, hopefully we have you back in the future. Andrew, I really like talking to you. Uh, awesome things you guys are doing over there uppercut man it's great to see thank you
2: so much appreciate it thanks for having me on it's been a blast
0: we'll catch you guys in episode 186 next week see you then bye